some regards like any other day, uh, but God, you regard it differently. You've set it aside before the foundations of time, before the foundations of creation, so that your family that you would create through your one perfect Adam could gather, could worship, could praise, could honor you, could remember what you've done so that we may experience hope, so that we could participate in your glory, and so, Father, we could revel in your goodness. So today, God, we celebrate the fact that you uh, not only lived, not only did you live perfectly, not only did you die tragically, but you rose victoriously. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Man, we're off to a good start. If I'm going to be an emotional rock this morning, it's going to be a bumpy ride. But hey, we're glad you're here. Um, uh, we're glad to be here kind of for week two in, in Zen. And if, if you're joining us for the first time, this is like the second week we've been here. So uh, we're really, really glad to be here on the other side of the tracks and uh, we're excited to worship today. Uh, my name is Matthew. If I didn't get to meet you, um, lead pastor here, and just it's my privilege to get to do what we get to do uh, through the week and on Sundays, and and hopefully, um, man, hopefully it's your privilege to be here today too. So we're grateful. Uh, we're going to take a break from our series in Mark, kind of today, um, because historically uh, this is the week that we set aside to to celebrate leading up to like Resurrection Sunday. It's kind of the beginning of of the Passion Week, as we call it traditionally. Uh, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, we're going to open with Mark chapter 11. So like I said, we're kind of taking a break from Mark, but kind of not. Uh, but Mark 11 is going to be up there, and we're just going to read for just a moment um, the story of Jesus' entry uh, into, man, into Bethany. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for time to, to sit here and listen and learn God, I pray today would be a good day just to kind of set our minds and set our hearts on what lies ahead. Um, thank you for what you've done throughout history, uh, the history of the world, but also the history of us as individuals uh, to reach to us, to speak to us, to reveal your goodness to us. And for those of us who call you Lord, God, I'm grateful uh, that you've heard our cries of repentance um, and heard our declaration that you're our Lord. Uh, for those here, God, today that have not declared you Lord, Father, I pray that you would speak I pray that you would speak loudly and speak clearly about what, you, what you're actually offering. Um, and, Father, the, the singularity of it, the uniqueness of it, and the hope that rests in it. Um, and, God, we pray you move, you work, and I pray that we celebrate you well. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 1 in the book of Mark, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before, those who followed, were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, and it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Today marks the beginning of a week that we know how it culminates, or maybe you don't, but maybe you should. It, it, it kind of uh, leads Jesus to the cross, uh, to hang, to die, um, a sinner's death, of which he was not. 
um, a, a terrible death, which he did not deserve. Uh, but the reality is we did. The death was meant for us. The punishment was meant for us. The sin is the sin that we committed, the sin that we were unable to avoid from the time that we were born because we were cut off generationally and almost at a genetic level, unable to do the type of good that God is. And so Jesus came. Jesus lived the perfection we could not. He, he displayed the righteousness that we could only aspire to. And it, it didn't end with this, but it led to him walking to the cross willingly, obediently, sacrificially, to die a death that all of us deserved. And not just that one of us deserved, but collectively, humanity, the collective death of humanity deserved. And Jesus, in one man, one God, walking with skin on, indwelled by one spirit, bore all of our sin and bled and died on the cross. But it wasn't over there. It didn't end. If it had, we would not be here. We wouldn't have reason to celebrate. We wouldn't have reason to use words like victory. We wouldn't have words to, to, to say that, God, you're good. We wouldn't even get to experience grace because it didn't end with the cross, but it actually led to, on the third day, he actually rose and conquered death. And I, I say it frequently, and I love it. He kicked death in the teeth, and he walked right out. And because of that, we do get to celebrate. We do get to claim victory. We do get to have assurance, and we get to walk in hope. If we just believe, if we just believe. Throughout this week, this Passion Week, as it's been come to uh, be known, we see Jesus do several things. We see, him, we see him serve, we see him teach, and we see him model. Serve, teach, model. He had just a few days left with his disciples, so he took this opportunity to like, impart these last few things for them before they saw what they were about to see, because he even knew that when they saw what was about to happen, they would scatter. They would run. They wouldn't know what to think. And so throughout this week, he served them, he taught them, and he modeled for them what it looked like to actually be this new Adam that he was, this right chance at living with God. And so today, in this, uh, in this day that we celebrate Palm Sunday, I wanted to read how he came in, but I want us to think about the week. Tonight, if you're, if you're on our email list, uh, you'll get kind of a reading list that'll start tomorrow morning, and it'll take you kind of day by day through what this week looked like for Jesus. And so if you're not on that list and you want to get on it so that you can read along with us, just see me or um, see Zach or, or one of us after worship, and we'll be glad to get you uh, on that list so it'll come to you tonight. But uh, today I was just thinking, is there one place that we can look uh, in this particular week that would kind of sum up what it looks like for what Jesus did of that idea of serving, teaching, and modeling. And while I would love to go through everything he did on every day, like we just don't, we don't have that time. And so we're going to land in, in John uh, chapter 13. This is one of the events that took place uh, during this Passion Week. It, it took place on what's been called Monday Thursday. Uh, Monday has taken on the name of just like feet washing. That's what it, uh, that's what it means now, but it came from the Latin word of mandate, which we translate to mandate, which is a new commandment that Jesus gave us. And so we're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 1 uh, through 20, and read that together. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. We'll pause right there for a minute. Up until this point, like, 
Jesus came on the scene, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, that there was really only one person that knew who Jesus was at this point, and that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been spoken to by God, called from the womb by God to actually be the herald of Jesus, to prepare the way or make the way straight. But now that we find, like, at this point, Mark chapter 11, we're seeing him enter in, and the rest of the Gospels, towards the end of the Gospels, we see that people have started to figure out who he is. The Spirit has laid upon them truth as actually who this is. Uh, Peter has already declared him the Christ. There's other people that have began to call him rabbi or rabbi teacher, master with authority. They began to look on him and realize that he was different. And so he had been called many things. And just like we just read, when he entered in, there were people who were fulfilling prophecy and declaring, Hosanna to the highest, the Lord has come. And so people knew exactly who he was. Not everyone, but there were those few, those followers, those disciples, not just the 12, but actually up to hundreds that knew that this was the Christ, the one that we had been waiting for, the one that had been talked about for hundreds of years, even during the silent times, they knew this was him. But in this place, when Jesus is, is taking on this attitude of serving, teaching, and modeling this, this Jesus, this Hosanna, this Christ, this Savior, this God with us, he does something very odd, very odd. In a room full of fishermen, in a room full of uneducated men, he stoops, literally, socially, culturally, to take on the form of the least. It says they're in a room, they're, they're awaiting Passover celebration. If we read the rest of the Gospels, he had sent a couple ahead to say, go prepare this place. Somebody's going to welcome you, do all of these things. But before their Passover meal, which they celebrated, which was, man, quite foretelling, um, he took off his outer garment, same outer garment that people had touched and been healed multiple times already, pretty crazy, and he wrapped a towel around his waist to take on the form, the appearance, and the activity of the least in the room, the servant. And then he began to, to get down around the table, like this was not a table with chairs, it was a table they would sit on their left side, put their left hand on the floor, their nasty, filthy, disgusting feet would be behind them because they walked around in less than Birkenstocks every single day, and their feet were despicable. And Jesus began with a bowl of water and a towel and with his hands just to wash one disciple's foot after another, after another. And I think we think pretty clean terms. We think of just like, oh, foot washing, because we've probably seen foot washings. We've seen Monday, Thursday services potentially. Like, you know, somebody takes off their sock, and the least that we've got to worry about is maybe a little, little toe fuzz or something like that, which I know some people are gagging right now to think about. But these feet were worse, much, much worse. But Jesus, in the form of a servant, began to kneel behind one after the other after the other, all 12 even, all 12, knowing what he knew, and wash one set of feet after another after another. Crazy imagery, like crazy to think that this Jesus, who just, man, three, four days before, there were people laying down palm branches, laying down their clothes, and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, our Jesus, our Lord, he's here. And now, towel around his waist, Washing feet. Washing feet. Like I said, throughout this week, this, this kind of death march week with victory in mind, but also tragedy at hand, he taught, he served, and he modeled. We continue in the text. So in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who I love Simon because he just says whatever comes to his mind. I don't know anybody like that. I call it pinball brain, by the way. We'll keep going. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. 
Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me, no place with me. So Simon Peter, not quite understanding, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I, I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In this moment, this last moment of like true intimacy with his disciples, he took that opportunity, that same opportunity that he had been doing with everyone else that he had been encountering, whether it was going into the temple and flipping tables and chasing people out again for the second time, or whether it was giving a lesson about a fig tree that still baffles me, to be honest, and we'll get to that down the road. Or whether it was just the parables that he taught, some very clear, some not so clear, he was still taking this opportunity with his 12, those intimate few that he had invested in, he had poured into, he had released, he had equipped, he had empowered. He was taking that opportunity to serve, to teach, and to model. The first thing that we see, and it's the, the most obvious part, is he took this opportunity just to, just to serve them, to wash their feet. Something that would need to be done before a meal. Like this was normal operating procedure. If you gathered in someone's house to eat, they would give you water to wash your feet, wash your hands, wash your face, because you had been defiled by the outside. It was not so much a spiritual condition as it was just you were dirty. And if you came into someone's house, you washed your feet as respect for them, or they washed your feet as respect for you. The disciples had been bickering. Right up until this, the disciples, they had had an argument as to, hey, who is the greatest? It's me. It's you. No, it's me. It's not you. You stink. It's me. And Jesus takes an opportunity in the midst of that to serve and teach at the same time. And while they're arguing, potentially, sitting around the table, pointing fingers, possibly at themselves, he becomes the lowest in the room. The lowest in the room. To do something that should have already been done. And it, man, it was a teaching moment, but at the same time, it was more because it echoed everything that Jesus had been doing from his first cry to the it is finished. It echoed the very heart of Jesus that he came to serve. He came to serve. In Matthew 20, 28, which we'll reference again as he's speaking to people who are talking about greatness amongst people, he let them know that Jesus came into the world not to be served, but instead to serve and to die as a ransom for many. This was Jesus' heart on display. He took the form of a servant. Later in the week, he would take the form of a sinner, of which he was not, and he would die for me, for you, if we just believe. But in this place, in this time, amongst his 12, the best way to serve them led to a great way to teach them, a great thing to model. But first, it started with the fact that his heart demanded that I take care of my boys. I take care of these 12. I take care of these men whom I love, whom I've invested in, whom I'm going to release. But he's like, right now, the way that I serve them is I just do something menial. I wash their feet. 
that opportunity to serve also led to a, an amazing opportunity to teach, not just them, but us. Like when he came to Peter, I'm just going to reread verse 6. Starting there, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Are you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, What I'm doing now you do not understand, but afterwards you will. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus took this moment to teach, and he answered, He said, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. This was not about the foot washing. This was not about the foot washing. This was about the serving. He said, What I'm doing right now you do not understand, but in just a couple of days, in a couple of days, we're going to be reunited on a beach. And you're going to understand then, but right now you don't. But I'm telling you, Peter, that if I do not serve you, you have no place with me. The big lesson of this is, yes, we'll get to the, the loving one another part, but it's, it's central to the gospel right here, right now, in this place. He's basically saying, look, if we do not allow the work, the life, the death, and the actions of Jesus to serve a need that we have, we have no place with him. We have no place with him. The exclusivity of the gospel, the uniqueness of the gospel, is it does not rest on my works. It does not rest on my good deeds, but it rests solely, entirely on the righteousness alone of Jesus. The things he accomplished as a result of being God with skin on, the place that he stooped to as a result of having a heart for his people, the man that he was as a result of being indwelled by the fullness of God to walk triumphantly in this place, in this time for all generations. If we do not allow what he did to meet my need, we have no place with God. No place with God. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how much money we give. It doesn't matter what checks and balances we have. If it is not Jesus' righteousness and his servanthood that we are trusting in, we will never be made one with God. Never, ever, ever in all eternity. There is no hope without Jesus' serving us. And in this place, it was a beautiful example of just washing disgusting, nasty feet. But in the grand scheme of the gospel, it was him doing what we could not. It was him bearing the sins of all humanity, hanging on the cross, breathing his last, dying as the perfect lamb in my place, your place, our place that we trust in. And he told Peter clearly for him to hear, but for us to hear, for the church to grow upon, if I don't serve you, you have no place with me. If I don't serve you, you have no place with me. Man, we try to neatly package what it looks like to follow Jesus, and we have a lot of do's and a lot of do-nots, and those things aren't bad because there are standards by which we should live as a result of Christ. He is the benchmark. He is the standard. But it must entirely start with not the things that we do, but the things that have already been done in the person and in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus. We have to believe in his works his service, and trust in those to make us right with God so that we actually have a place with Him. Because apart from those works, we do not. Apart from us trusting in those, we do not. He took the opportunity to serve, but He took the opportunity to teach that, Peter, it's only going to be through me. As good as you're going to be, it's only going to be through me. And it's echoed for generations, and it must be repeated through generations because this is the church that he birthed a church that's dependent upon his works and not ours upon his goodness and not ours upon his promises and not ours upon his righteousness and man i tell you we we talk about it so much that jesus is so other than like he's so different than any other way of 
trying to better ourselves through self-help religions. Because self-help's always going to tell you that self can help self. You can do better. You can do more. Jesus says you don't have to do better. You don't have to do more because I've already done it. I've done it for you because you could not. Trust in that service. Trust in that service. And it also means that we have to see Jesus' heart before his position or with his position. We see his heart that declares that he came and willingly loosed himself of divinity or certain rights of his divinity so that he could die in our stead, so that he could be sacrificed in our place. We have to trust in that. That's all wrapped up in that idea that he came on the scene and he's like, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Turn from who you were, turn to me, and then just believe, but not just know a story, but trust in who I am and what I'm going to do, what I've done in this place. He taught them. He taught us. But then he did model something for us, too. He modeled a ton in this particular place, and he even went to explain it and what that looked like. Um, he modeled. He came into a room of people that he was above. He was better than. And it's hard to say that about anybody because generally in a mixed room, it's hard to point to that person and say, you're better than me. You're above me. Humility doesn't allow it. Pride doesn't allow it. Like, that's just not normal. But in this place, there's no way that we can argue around the fact that in this room, Jesus was the greatest. He was. Like, in any room, at any time, in point, at which point he walked, he was the greatest. No way around that. But he modeled. He willingly walked in as the greatest and stooped the lowest. Stooped the lowest. And then he went a little bit further with this, and he started to explain them to them. And starting in verse 12, he says, When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place at the head of the table, very likely, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. That capital T, teacher, is Rabbani or Rabboni, which means teacher or master with authority that I'm trusting with every teaching you're giving me, by the way. He said, You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. My grandfather was an interesting man, alcoholic, um, gambler, abusive man, um, gave his life to Christ in his early 30s, surrendered his life to the ministry uh, in his late 30s, sold everything, moved to Kentucky to go to school so he could be a pastor. And this was his favorite word was ought. Ought. It's not a word that we use very much. It's even strange for me to pronounce. It doesn't even sound like a real word, but it pops up in Scripture. And in this place, Jesus is using my grandfather's favorite word to say, if I have done this, you ought to do it too. If you've seen me stoop, being the greatest in the room, and actually get the lowest to, wash, to, to wash people's feet to serve them, you ought to do it too. Ought is just this idea of it's something you should be doing. You need to do it. As a result of who you are, your new identity, you ought to do this. It's such a strange word to me. He says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Verse 16, truly, truly I say to you, as a servant, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He was speaking of Judas. He said, I'm telling you this now, are all these things now before they take place, that when they do or it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one 
I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Speaking in the, the mouth and the nature of God, sending Jesus. He served them. He taught them about the gospel. But then he left them with this other thing that he modeled. The way in which we should live towards each other. That we should take on the appearance of, man, a servant. And, and it's, it's easy to say that he modeled humility. That's easy. Like, he was humble. But it's, it's more than that. Like, it's so much more than that because he didn't just do this out of humility. He did this out of love. Like, he didn't do it out of a, a social construct place, but he did it because he loved them so very much that his heart echoed and ached to serve them. Like we talked about last week, that he went ashore and he had compassion on them. There was a stirring deep within his bowels to the point that he had to do something. Same thing here. He looked at his 12 and he saw a need that they had, and so his heart declared, I must Serve them. As a matter of fact, it had been happening from the beginning. It would happen all the way to the cross. It would happen all the way to the ascension. It was his desire to serve us so that we may know God. But then he, he puts a little qualifier on there, if you will, in verse 31 of the same chapter. They, he had talked about who would betray him in between here and where we just finished. And it says, when he had gone out in verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him... God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But then he leaves them with this in verse 34. He says, a new commandment, the mandate, the mandate that comes from this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And if we paused right there, we would be like, I can do that. No problem. Piece of cake. I love people. Love them good. Love them deep. I'm good at that. But he said, you should love one another. And then he says, just as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. That puts a whole new wrinkle in things. Whole new level of love. Because we've loved people the way we were taught to love, right? The way that we've seen people love, the way a parent loves their kid, which is great. But Jesus put it on a whole new level. And he's also kind of hearkening back to this idea, you don't really understand everything I'm telling you now. You will in just a couple days. You'll get it. But right now, you see a bit of it, but just, just wait. Just wait. He says, a new commandment I give you, not just that you love one another, but you love one another like I love you, like I love them. That's the only way we go into a room and we stoop down to the possible lowest and we wrap a towel around our waist and we begin to wash the nastiness off of people. That's not normal. That's not normal. That's not celebrated by society. That's not, that's not aspired to. That's not taught at leadership schools. That's not normal. That's Jesus. And he says, I'm leaving you with a mandate or a commandment, not giving you really an option to do this, but if you know me, you ought to do this. Love one another the way you've seen me love you. I think in the grand scheme of this week, um, what do we do with it? Like, what's the application of a week in which we watch a blameless lamb willingly march to a cross and doesn't put up a fight? Like, what's the application of that? Well, I think, for starters, I think we, we remember. Like, we remember Jesus. We remember what he did. We remember why he did it. And we remember whom he did it for. Number one, he did it for God, but secondarily, he did it for us. And we remember it well. And I think as this week progresses, like as we sit down and as we read where Jesus was during that part of the week, man, we read it, we remember it, and maybe we just say, thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what you did in that place, in that time, for those who would believe and for the glory of God. We remember and we thank, thank God. I think not only do we remember, but, man, we take every opportunity we can to celebrate, to celebrate it well, like we do it here this morning. Hopefully that's, that's an effort of what we do, but, but amongst each other throughout this week, whether it's in community groups or whether it's over coffee, Man, maybe just think about what Jesus did and find an awkward way. It doesn't matter if it's awkward or natural or not. Just say, I thank Jesus for doing this today. We celebrate it together. Celebration works way better when we're with a family than we are separately. I don't know how many parties you've ever had by yourself, but they probably weren't very good. But if you've got 20 or 30 people together, that's a pretty good party. Pretty good party. Find ways to celebrate and celebrate together. Remember what he did. Celebrate. But then, I love this fact, and it even come up in some of the music this morning uh, in Luke's account of Jesus entering the city um, when he enters in for just man, on the colt everything, the people singing, the people laying down palm fronds, the people laying down their cloaks at the end of it, the Pharisees they come to Jesus, and it's really funny, I love it and they're like, man, these people are making a lot of noise, could you tell them to be quiet please, and in Jesus' way, he says, no I will not because if I do, the rocks are going to start crying out. Man, the way that we honor Jesus this week is through remembering, is through celebrating, but it's through remembering that if we don't speak, the rocks will. And if they do, we failed. And you say, you're going to talk about failure? Yeah, I am. If the rocks are crying out instead of us, we failed. We have. We have completely missed every opportunity to celebrate someone who's worthy of our celebration, who's worthy of our adoration, who's worthy of our worship who's worthy of our listening to, who's worthy of our watching, who's worthy of us modeling our life after, especially in this week. When, to be honest, during this week, it's relatively easy in the grand scheme of things in our country. We talk about it at Christmas. Like, you know, in, in church culture, we have priesters, which are folks that show up to worship at Christmas and Easter, and that's fine. If you show up next week, uh, maybe you're here now, but if you show up next week and you've only been to church twice in the past year, this week and next week, we're glad you're here. We're awesome with that. I would love for you to come back for a third Sunday and no longer be a priester. But either way, uh, we have great permission, great latitude, even in a, a culture that's edging towards post-Christian that's not really there yet. We have great latitude this week to speak of the victory we have in Jesus. It's one of the easiest weeks on our calendar to actually, man, honor Christ through remembering what he's done, through celebrating what he's done, and through speaking of it so the rocks don't do it in our place. We have great latitude to do that during this given week. You're not going to lose your job. You may, but if you do, hey, we're going to pat you on the back and say, good job. You're not going to lose your job, most likely. You're not going to lose your family. You're not going to lose your home. But if the rocks cry out, we failed. And I don't think that was metaphor, by the way. I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's just kind of holy metaphor. It wasn't. Jesus is Lord over all creation, and if he wants the rocks to sing his praise because his people aren't, they definitely will, and it'll be the craziest thing we've ever seen, and it's going to make us cry. Let's not do that. Let's do it so they don't have to. Let's do it so they don't have to. And then he left them with this. I think the other way that we honor Christ this week, in this week, and beyond, is we do. We look at the way that he served. We look at the way that he taught and what he taught. But then we look at what he modeled, and we do our best every single day to love like Jesus. To love like Jesus. And some days that may mean that you're going to wear humility that you don't have. And that's okay. In some days, that means that uh, you have not swept a floor, this is metaphorical or literal, in 20 years because you're the boss. 
but you sweep. Some days it means that you are well qualified to do everything under the sun in a particular room, but you take the most menial thing because you love the people that are there and you serve them. Maybe it's something as simple as pouring a cup of coffee. Maybe something as simple as buying someone lunch. It may be something as simple as giving someone a ride to work. It may be something as simple as going to a baby shower of someone you don't know. There's a baby shower today, by the way, 3.30. Lexi Hendricks. That's a nice little plug right there. But this week, and we remember, we celebrate, and we speak. We remember, we celebrate, and we speak. It's that easy. Or it's that simple. Maybe simple is a better word. I think of all the things, like the longer that I follow Jesus, probably the, I'm always grateful for my salvation. I'm always grateful for grace that I don't deserve. I'm always grateful for understanding that I can't possibly wrap my mind around but probably more than anything, I'm so incredibly grateful that he showed us what life could look like. That he gave us, like, he's not just the benchmark, but he's an example in saying, because I live this way, you can too. Because I love this way, you can too. And it's entirely possible. And I think we've made the statement, up until, like, dying for the sins of the world, we can pretty much do everything Jesus did. He's told us so. But I think it starts with just loving people the way he did let it grow from there. Let it grow from there. God, today we, we say thank you. Thank you for being a, a God who loves us as we are, but loves us enough not to leave us as we are. So what you did is you sent your son. You sent your son so that if we believe in his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection, we can have hope. If we trust in his righteousness instead of our attempts, we can know you. And God, we get to be indwelled by the seal, by the spirit of the living God, God himself living in us, changing the location of the temple and birthing the church. God, today we celebrate that. God, we remember the things that Jesus taught us. We remember the ways that he served us. And God, we remember the way that he modeled what life could look like. And for me, I say thank you. And God, from the hearts of those that are here, Father, I pray the same words could come out and could be repeated very frequently this week. Just thank you, God, for Jesus. And Father, I do pray that, that in the, the grand beauty of this week, as we remember, as we celebrate, uh, we have great opportunities to speak. Just to, not just to one another, but even to those, God, who give us great latitude to speak of what you've done in our lives. And God, because of that, because of faith leading, uh, faith coming from hearing, God, I pray that we would get to celebrate the fact that, that you are calling men and women to yourself. Maybe even some that are sitting in this room. And God, thank you that uh, we get to even celebrate uh, a family coming to us this morning and telling us that their daughter gave her life to Jesus this week. That's good. We say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for serving us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us what life could look like. In your son's name we pray, amen.